talking about our last sign today is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, how many of you have ever heard this story, Jesus feeding the 5,000? Yeah, many of us, many of us have heard the story. Many of us have probably seen it played out on the felt board with the sticky uh, characters and all that stuff in Sunday school, um, like, I, like I was back in the day, uh, sitting there seeing the, 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 the characters just kind of float across the board and then they'd stick there. And I would always sit there and think, how in the world are they staying up on this felt board? It was, it was a miracle to me, um, the eighth sign of John. But, uh, but many of us have heard this, but how many of you know that no matter how many times you hear something from God's Word, He's always got something new for you. Amen? He's always got something new for you. So I believe today He's got something new for us. I didn't know this um, before studying this this past week, um, but, but there are only two miracles that were recorded in all four Gospels. So again, the Gospels, just in case you're new to church or you're kicking the tires of church, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason we call those the Gospels is they're the story of Jesus. And the Gospel word literally means good news. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they are the, uh, the stories They're the stories of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Why? Because He's our Savior. He's the sacrifice that came and paid the cost, the price for our sins, that we could have eternal life and access with the Father. Amen? And so that's the reason we call them the Gospels. And there's only two miracles that are recorded in all four in all four Gospels, Matthew talked about them, Mark uh, in his short Gospel. Uh, a lot of people like Mark because he's short and sweet and to the point. Uh, he, he recorded both of them. Dr. Luke recorded both of them in much greater detail because he's like that. And then John, the storyteller, uh, re- recorded both of them. And, and the two are Jesus feeding the 5,000 that we're going to look at today. You know what the second one is? Worship team, don't don't cheat. Don't tell anybody. You know what the second one is? Anybody know what the second one is? The second miracle that, that's recorded in all four Gospels? Just take, take a guess. The resurrection. Good job. Snaps. Snaps for you. That's it. The resurrection. Okay, so we've got, we, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty big deal. Right For Jesus um, to feed the 5,000 and for Jesus to walk out of the grave and for those to be included in all four Gospels, it kind of makes me think that we ought to pay a little bit of a close attention to this story today, don't you think? And so John chapter 6 is where we pick up the story where we pick up the sign, and, 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 and kind of like Ian last week and Stacy a few weeks ago, man, we could spend a whole six or seven week series on John chapter 6. And so we are going to take a 40,000 foot view of this passage, of this story, of what's happening here. Um, but Jesus just gets done, he just gets done uh, uh, talking and, and delivering a message. And in chapter 6, verse 1, we pick up and it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of uh, Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. So again, we've we've seen Jesus heal the paralytic. We've seen Jesus uh, heal blind man. We've seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, right, and and turn water into wine. We've seen all of these things, and so and so the crowds were seeing Jesus do these signs, and in verse three, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now that was common. In fact, if you look at John, uh, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter five verses uh, chapters five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus take the same posture, where he was sitting down on the side of a hill. And I just want you to, man, the Bible comes to life. I think when we place ourselves in the story, and so I just want you to place yourselves there for a moment. Just imagine, just imagine, because you know I, I know we're we're in church this morning, but just imagine that you're having to do church outside. Okay, I know that's rare. I know that would rarely happen. And I know that's kind of not in the norm. But imagine you're, you're outside and you're following somebody. And then all of a sudden he's walking along. You know what I picture? I picture Forrest Gump. Anybody ever seen Forrest Gump? And he's running, right? And he just, he's running and he's running and he's running. And then all of a sudden, in the, out, of, out of the middle of nowhere, right? He just stops running. And he turns around and he's like, I think I'm done running. 
And that whole crowd stopped as soon as Forrest stopped running. And then they were so disappointed at, 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 his, he, at his announcement that he was done running, right? I do a terrible Forrest impersonation, but there you go. There you have it, okay? I'm sure Dave Champa would have that to a T, um, but, but that's okay. Um, and, and, but I picture that, right, where Jesus is just out in front and people have started to see all these signs and these wonders and Jesus working miracles. And, and so he's, he's picked up quite the following, right? People are following him and he's walking along and then he stops on the side of a hill and everybody just kind of gathers around, probably gets as close as they can get into be able to hear because they didn't have Dylan's and Jeff's and, 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 and worship teams like this that set up all these uh, uh, things so that we could hear and, and all of that. Um, but but they said so they probably pressed in as close as they could to hear Jesus. Jesus went up on a mountain, verse 3, sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, we looked at that a few weeks ago, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, again, let's put ourselves in the story for just a minute. If you, look at the, if you look at Matthew's account of this, and you look at Luke's account of this, you know that Jesus has been teaching all day. Okay? And I want you to think about how, um, um, you know, Jesus has been teaching. He starts teaching in the morning. It hits noontime. It hits 1 o'clock. It hits 2 o'clock. Some of you are like, I don't have to imagine that. That happens at Summit every week. And I wonder when you're going to stop. Okay, and it hits three o'clock. And by this time, they've come to the realization, the disciples have come to the realization, they've missed both games, right? Then it hits four o'clock. It hits five o'clock. It hits six o'clock. And the disciples are starting to get nervous. And they're, they're thinking, right, how in the world do we get him to stop? And they come up with this idea. Right now, again, you, you have to look at Matthew and Luke's account of the story to get this. But Philip, they kind of send Philip up there just to say, hey, uh, Jesus, we're thinking about the people. But it's time to eat. These people need to eat. These people need to eat. You know what Jesus tells them? In fact, we see just a taste of it here in John's account. We see just a taste of it in John's account where it says, um, uh, Philip answered him, excuse me, verse 6, Jesus said this to test him. Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Don't you love that? Don't, do you as a parent ever, you know, the Bible says not to provoke your children, Right? But sometimes it's just fun to ask them that question that's just going to... Anyway, anyway, let me move on. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but one denarii is like a day's work. Okay, one day's work. So you're talking about 200 days labor to feed the crowd. You had 5,000 plus women and children. Okay, so, so scholars have tried to predict how many people were there. Um, this past week, I saw in one commentary, there were probably 20,000 people there. He was a good pastor. That's probably a pastor number. I, I, I probably lean more to the 13,000, 14,000 people. The reality is, though, church, we don't have a clue. But there were a lot of people there. There were thousands of people there. So much, so many people that Philip says 200 denarii, 200 days worth of work worth of bread would not be enough for each of them just to get a little. For each of them just to get a taste. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now I want you to see something here. So, so Jesus, right, asks Philip pretty much to do the impossible, right? He, put his, he puts it back on the disciples. Put yourself in Philip's shoes for a moment. You're sitting there listening to Jesus teach all day. You walk up to him and say, hey Jesus, just thinking about the people. We should probably send them away. The restaurants are about to close in town. They need to get some food on their way home. And Jesus looks back at Philip and says, figure out how to feed the people. Now you, Philip, have to go back to the rest of the disciples and, 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 and report on what Jesus just told you, right? 
Then Jesus takes it to another level and he says, have them sit down. And, and in Matthew's account, Matthew makes a point that Jesus had Philip and the disciples sit them in groups of 50. It's prophetic. In groups of 50. Probably 14 feet apart. Okay, too far, too far. Okay, but, but in groups of 50. Now, let me ask you something, church. How excited are you for this assignment from Jesus? Have you ever tried to organize people? Have you ever tried to get people to do something that you need them to do? Like, hey, listen, I know you've been filled up with teaching today, but, and I know there's about 13, 14, 24, I, who, I, thousands of people here, but we need you to sit in groups of 50. We've got two fish and five loaves of bread, and we need you to sit in groups of 50, and we're going to feed you. Now you can place yourself in one of two places, one of three places, really, in, in this, right? Imagine being Jesus and just sitting back and watching the disciples' reaction here. Right? To how in the world are we going to do this? Imagine being the people, right? You're thousands of people and you've got to organize yourself in groups of 50 and you're hungry and all of that. Imagine if you're the disciples. Right? How many of you would sit and think, man, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I'm, if I'm Peter, I'm just grabbing a loaf and I'm sitting over there eating, right? And so what a, what, a, what a setup here. Sat down, about 5,000 in number, verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish. And here's, here's what's mind-boggling about this passage. I want you to underline this. As much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. Now, can we talk about that for just a second? Because I think we read that, right? Putting ourselves in the context of the story, right? You've been listening to a sermon all day long. What are 95% of us going to do when we leave this place today? We're going to go eat, right? We're going to go eat. We're going to have an appetite. We're going to go eat and, and, and probably fill our bellies and all of that, right? And, and, so, and so many of us think, and we read that as much as they wanted, as thinking, man, they went to the China buffet and they just had, the, Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes and they had as much as they wanted, pro, probably over ate, probably filled their bellies and then some, right? And, and, and all of that. That's what we think. You know what I think? You know what I think? And listen, 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 listen. I'm not taking anything. I'm not taking anything away from the miracle. I'm not taking anything away from the sign because it was a miracle. God multiplied through the hands of Jesus and through the obedience of the disciples to feed 5,000 plus women and children, 13, 14,000, however many you want you know, to throw in there, right? And, and it's a miracle to multiply five loaves and two fishes to feed and to satisfy that many people. But I also think that it wasn't as my monumental as a, as a task as we put it in the context of us today because I think the people were much easier satisfied back then because they had been eating from the words of Jesus all day long and they were more excited they were more excited about being in the presence of Jesus who's doing all these miracles and what he was going to do next because he had shifted their desire I love hiking Anybody else, anybody else love hiking? I was told this past week, I used to not enjoy hiking, and then I realized um, that I just needed to see it as a workout, and then I became okay with it, right? And so whatever, you, whatever your coping mechanism with hiking is, many of us have some type of level of experience with hiking. I, I enjoy hiking. Uh, my, I, I think one and a half of my kids so far enjoys hiking. Um, I say half because Ezra... He's a little unsafe to take hiking right now because he sees a 200-foot cliff and just thinks, Daddy, watch me jump. You know, and so he's just, he's a liability right now to take hiking. Um, but Micah loves to, to hike with me. And you know, I, I was thinking about this when I, when I was thinking about the people in this context and, 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 and sitting out there listening to Jesus teach all day. You know, when I'm at home, when I'm at home, 
Anybody, anybody else, right, you're at home, you're working from home or something like that. Man, food, you just seem to be more hungry, right? Like it just, you just seem, food's much more accessible. It doesn't cost, I mean, you've already paid for it, right? I was going to say it doesn't cost anything, but you just, you've just already paid for it, right? And so you can just sit there and just munch and you don't even think about it, right? Like for some of us, you just, it just becomes habit, right? And you just, you just, you just eat and you eat and you eat and then re you realize, man, I just ate a whole box of Triscuits five minutes before dinner and you don't even realize it, right? When I'm out hiking, man, it's completely different. I don't even have to eat when I'm hiking. Some of you are like, that's not safe. I, I'm very I'm very disciplined to make myself eat at, at rest stops and stuff like that. But it's interesting that when I'm out hiking, I don't eat near as much as I do when I'm just sitting at home. Why? Because I'm satisfied with other things. My attention, my focus is on other things. You see the picture? And so I think... That, that, that when, when Jesus took the loaves, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Again, I'm not taking anything away from the miracle. Jesus had to have multiplied this to feed 13, 14,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. But I also think that the people were more satisfied eating the words of Jesus than they were e eating the physical Long John Silver's takeout meal. It gets better. Verse 12. When they had gathered, when, excuse me, when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Filled to the brim, satisfied that they had no more want, and yet there were leftovers. So much so that they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When, they, when the people saw the sign that, that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It's interesting to me, it's interesting to me that they had so much left over that they filled 12 baskets. They filled 12 baskets. Now, there's, there's two ways to think about this, and, and, and I've, I've seen commentators and scholars comment both ways, that the, that, the, that, the, that the reason there were 12 baskets left over is that, is that Jesus wanted each of his disciples to have a doggy bag and take home, right? Jesus wanted each of his disciples to have a little extra. Right? You're following me. You've given up your life. You've given up your families. You've denied yourself. You, you've, you've, you've laid aside all of these things to follow me. And so here, here, take a basket of leftovers. Take a basket of extra. The other way to look at this is that they were at a place, and the, and the setting was significant, where the 12 tribes had come together. And so these 12 baskets represented the 12 tribes and that there were plenty for everyone. That there was plenty for everyone. Meaning, meaning, what does that mean for us? It means that Jesus was basically displaying that he's enough for anyone and everyone that would come after him and call him Lord. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So there's three things that I want to talk about from this text, and then there's three takeaways that I want us to take away. Okay? You ready? Bueller? Okay, Herb says go for it. Here we go. The first one is this. Take my time. The first point is this. When we follow Jesus, He'll stretch us. When we follow Jesus, He will stretch us. When we follow Jesus, He will stretch us. Now I know, for many of us, that not, that's not necessarily comforting to hear. But I want us to look back at the story. Jesus will stretch our faith. He asked Philip that question in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes, seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? 
The Lord wanted to prove Philip. The Lord was testing Philip to examine Philip. And he wants to do the same thing to us. And why does Jesus do that? I'm glad you asked. It's not to condemn us. It's not to give us a pass-fail grade. He wasn't asking Philip to go buy a couple of Big Macs and fries. No, this was a huge crowd. 5,000, possibly another 10,000 women and children or so to do it. But, and Jesus was testing Philip. And tests can be hard. Amen? Some of you are walking through a season right now. I mean, again, we, we sing that song, Lord, I need you. And you're just sitting there thinking, I, I need you in this. There's, this season is hard. This thing that I'm doing right now is it's hard. I need you in this. I need you in this. I was talking with a brother from Alabama the other day. He leads a huge ministry, and I was just going up to him and 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 uh, and, and talking to him and and having a conversation with him and and uh, and just he, he was talking about how hard this season was and 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 he looked at me and, and kind of confided in me a little bit. He said, "Travis, I went to my wife back in May and just said, honey, I'm not even sixty yet, but I'm going to retire. This isn't worth it. This ministry thing right now, in the midst of everything we're doing, it's just it's just not worth it. I'm gonna I'm gonna just retire. I'm gonna walk away now because this is too hard. It's too hard. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have walked into a circumstance, and and, and it doesn't even have to be in the last five six months, but it could be in the last five six years, five past five six decades. You've walked into this. You've walked into a situation. And you've looked at it and just said. I'm just going to walk away because this is just too hard. Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus doesn't test us. Jesus doesn't try to prove us to be mean or to pick on us or to, you know, whatever, to kick us while we're down. He does it because on the other side of that testing, there is something beautiful. There is something sweet. Can I testify to you this morning? I can't tell you. I cannot tell you, church, the number of times in the last nine and a half years that I've walked out of this building on a Sunday morning thinking, Lord, please make that the last Sunday I have to go here and preach can't tell you. The number of times. If you could see the text message thread between Kristen and I, my wife and I, over the last nine and a half years, and how many times I've begged her to let me just leave and go, you'd be like, wow, you're sad. But can I tell you something? There is power in testing. There is power in staying. See, see, God wasn't bringing me through those seasons to pick on me. God wasn't bringing me through those seasons because I was just a glutton for punishment. God was bringing me through those seasons because He was producing something in me that was much sweeter than what I would have experienced if I would have run. There's power in the testing. There's power in the testing. And so what what Philip's doing here, right, what God's doing in Philip here, what Jesus is doing in Philip here is not picking on him, not trying to put him in an impossible situation because Jesus, it says right there in the text, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already knew. But he was producing something, he was proving something in Philip. There was a person that came into my office struggling one time and said, why does life have to be so hard? I mean, I mean, Travis, God could make it easy for us if He wanted to. God could make it easy for us if He wanted to. And of course, the person went on to say, of course, the main reason why life can be so hard is because we live in a lost and dying world. It's a fallen, sin-sick world. But as I thought about that question and this scripture and this text and this story that we're looking at today, I can see another good reason why God asks His people to do hard things. Why God asks His people to do hard things is because He's making something beautiful and wonderful out of our lives. 
out of our lives. How many of you love to cook? Amen. Bless you. Bless you. Hallelujah. Preach. It's like cooking. Okay? I can make, I can make a mean, Dylan, I can make a mean ham sandwich. Take two pieces of bread out. You get mayonnaise. Now, the best, the best ham sandwiches are with Duke's mayonnaise. If you don't know what Duke's is, go, go to North Carolina for a little bit and get you some Duke's. Um, but Duke's mayonnaise is best, hands down. You take some two, two pieces of bread, you put some mayonnaise on there, you slap a piece of cheese on it, you put as much ham as you want to, right? And you slap that other piece of bread on top. Man, that's a sandwich. You know how much effort that takes? Minimal. That's why I can make it. Right? That's why I can make it. My, one of my other favorite meals, I, I discipled my kids a, a few weeks ago. I was at the store, I was at the grocery store one Saturday morning, and uh, Hot Pockets were on sale. Anybody ever eaten a Hot Pocket? Come on now, come on now, we're in church, we're having church now. Hot Pockets were on sale, two for like four bucks, two packs for four bucks. That's four Hot Pockets for four bucks, that's a dollar a pocket. Man, that's a deal. And so I thought, my kids have never had Hot Pockets. There's a reason, but my kids have never had Hot Pockets. And so today is the day. Right? Got those things, took them home, put them, you know, put them in the freezer. And Kristen comes and looks in the freezer. She's like, where in the world did these come from? I'm like, oh, I'm going to disciple you too. Right? I'm sad to report that the Hot Pockets were not a huge hit in my house. Right? Right. So there's food, right, that, that, that's, that most of us can make, that many of us can make, right? We can make a grilled cheese, most of us, you know, ham sandwich, things like that, mac and cheese, craft, right? But then you think, so, so, so think about that, but then you think about the Thanksgiving dinner that takes like a week to prepare if you're going to do it right, right? Two days before Thanksgiving, Kristen and I are in the kitchen, right? We're brining the turkey, man. We're, we're, we're rubbing that thing down. We're getting that turkey just right, getting it ready to go in the oven, right? That thing takes days to prepare. Now, compare the Hot Pocket to the Thanksgiving dinner. Which one you want? We want the Thanksgiving dinner, right? God is creating something. He's proving something in us. He's proving something in us. He wants to stretch us. He wants to stretch us. Number two, when we follow Jesus, He'll stretch us. And number, and the second thing, He'll show us. He'll show us Himself. Look at verses 8 through 11 again. He says there, verse 8, one of His disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they, what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Have the people sit down. Now that should have been a clue, right? When Jesus is saying, have the people sit down, that he's about to do something awesome. And there was so much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. What does Jesus do here? He shows off, right? He works a miracle. He works a miracle. He's not only going to stretch us, but He's going to show us. See, Jesus is going to show us great things. And there's amazing, miraculous blessing for us to see in this story that Jesus took a little boy's lunch and multiplied it to bless thousands of people. But I want you to notice what this miracle took. It took a couple things. The first thing it took was the right outlook. It took the right outlook. How many of you know, how many of you know or think that God wants to do something amazing in your lives, but you've got a horrible attitude about it? I've been there, right? God wants to do amazing things in our lives, but we've got the wrong outlook, right? We've got the wrong outlook. Andrew was starting to get the right outlook here in verses 8 and 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here, right, who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? No doubt Aaron was at the, excuse me, Andrew was at the wedding where he had seen these old barrels, right, that were used for ceremonial washing be turned into the best wine to ever be had at a wedding, right? And so he, he was just sitting there probably looking around for anything, for anything. And he sees this little boy walk by and says, God, I don't, Jesus, I don't know what you want to do with it. I don't know what you want to do with it, but there's a boy over there and he's walking home. He's got two fish and five loaves of bread. Andrew saw an opportunity. He didn't know how it would turn out, 
He didn't know the outcome. He wasn't sure it could work, but his eyes were opening to the possibility. See, most of us need a better outlook on life. Hmm. Some of us need a better outlook on church. Some of us spend more time criticizing the church than we do praying for the church. Some of us need a better outlook. We need to see more with the eyes of faith. We need to open up to the possibilities of what God could potentially do in our lives, in our families, in our church. Then we will see more miracles of God's multiplication, of God's satisfaction, of God's provision. And Jesus wants us to show great things. Not only, not only do we see the right outlook, but we see the right obedience. Everything Jesus asked the disciples to do, I mean, they had learned by now, everything we see that Jesus asked the disciples to do, what they do? They did it, right? I mean, like I mentioned, even in other accounts of the story, right, have them, have them sit down in groups of 50, right? Have them sit down in groups of 50. See, the Lord gave them more than enough, and they were satisfied, they were satisfied by the physical bread. But we know, we know that the most satisfying bread is Jesus himself, Jesus himself. So not only does it take the right outlook, not only does it take the right obedience, but it takes Jesus. It takes Jesus. Most of all, it takes Jesus. See, we can see the Lord in his infinite power. In verse 11, Jesus took the loaves when he had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Jesus demonstrated His power. He took the loaves. See, I know we know this, but some of us need to be reminded of this. By ourselves, we can't. But Jesus can. By ourselves, we can't. But Jesus can. In fact, later in John, we see, apart from me, you can do nothing. David Washburn gave this great explanation one time. He says, when I hold a basketball in my hands, it's merely a basketball. But when you place that same basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan, it turns into a collegiate championship, a professional championship, so on and so forth, right? Michael Jordan can do things with a basketball I could never dream of doing. Same thing with a golf club. You put a golf club... In Herb's hands. I'm not sure what he's going to do with it, quite honestly. See how far he can throw it, he just said. But you put that same golf club in Tiger Woods' hands, or Phil Mickelson's hands, or Dustin Johnson's hands, who just won the PGA Championship last weekend. Woo hoo! Right? It changes. It changes. You put a paintbrush in my hands. You'll get a really good painting if all of the sections are numbered and you tell me which section to color in, right? But you put a paintbrush in somebody else's hands, you might actually get art that's worth something. You get the picture, right? The point is Jesus. How is it that the same instruments and the same tools can bring about such different results? Quite simply, it depends on who's holding them. When we put our lives in Jesus' hands, He can do miraculous things through us. So Jesus will show us great things. And lastly, number three, He'll supply us. Jesus will supply every need we have in life. Jesus took great care of these people. He'll take great care of us. In fact, He already is. Every breath we have is a gift from Him. And Jesus can say these things because He did die on the cross for our sins and rose again forever. Romans chapter 8, verses 31-32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Jesus will supply every need we ever have in life. He will. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly because I don't want you to go home and think that check's going to be in the mail because Jesus is going to supply. Jesus will supply every need we have. And sometimes 
God wants to redefine our needs. He wants to redefine our needs. And so, the thing we've got to deal with, and the thing we've dealt with every sign up until this point over the last seven weeks, is this. Why this sign? Why this? And again, we could go into Jesus walking on water. We could do a whole message on how in verse 15, we see Jesus see that the crowds were coming and they, did, and they were going to force him to be king. And that, that was something that he didn't want. And so he retreated to the mountains, right? He retreated to the mountains. And then the, he sent the disciples off on the boat. The storm comes. Jesus starts walking on water and, and all these things. And then Jesus goes on in the same chapter to tell, to tell people that he's the bread of life. Right? I'm the bread of life. You know why this sign? Because Jesus wanted the people to see that He was enough. In fact, when Jesus taught His people to pray, He said, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus wanted the people to see that He was satisfactory, that He was sufficient, that He was was enough. That's why we have this sign. That's why we have this sign. That Jesus is enough. Church, for you, He's enough for me. He's enough. We don't need Jesus and the right this. We don't need Jesus and the right that. We don't need Jesus and. We just need Jesus. So there's three takeaways that I would just believe that if each one of us applied to our lives from this passage, number one is this, never judge your problems in light of your own resources. Never judge your problems in light of your own resources. See, see, I believe... I'll say that for number two. But, but let me just, let me say this. Let me say this. Never judge your problems in light of your own resources. Now listen, we serve a supernatural God. Haven't we seen that over the last seven weeks? He wants to do unbelievable things in and through our lives if we'll let Him. But so many of us are consumed and focused on just what we've got around us. We forget, we forget that the same God that created the heavens and the earth Right? The same God that created all of us differently, yet has called us together to work together for His good and His kingdom advancement. Right, We forget that He has access and the ability to make all things new. Make all things new. And so never judge your problems, your circumstances, in light of your own resources. Number two, that leads us to number two, put yourself in a position for God to do something big. Put yourself in a position for God to do something huge. For God to do something huge. See, man, I can't tell you, I can't tell you the number of times that I, I wish we could all, I wish we could all go back to the moment where we first met Jesus. And nothing was impossible. Right? Nothing was impossible. I'll never forget the, the night I met Jesus and went and told my youth pastor the next week that I had met Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, man. And, and my youth pastor looked at me. He's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going home tonight. I'm going to read the whole Bible. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. I made it like three chapters, Matt. But somewhere along the way, church, somewhere along the way, we've lost the all. We've lost the belief that God is still God and He can work miracles and He can do great things. And so we never place ourselves in the position. We never place ourselves in the position for God to show up. Everything we do is safe. Everything we do is safe. I was listening to a sermon this past week on worship. It wasn't really a sermon, it was more of a a message for pastors and church leaders. And he asked the question to a group of pastors and church leaders in the room. He said, listen, he said, why in the world do we spend five days planning a service, but yet only five minutes praying over it? Man, I convicted. Right? Listen. We have to place ourselves in a position for God to move. God will meet us at the level of our expectation. 
right? We can't play it. Nothing, and, and, and let me analyze my heart real quick. Yep, nothing grieves my heart more than the church coming up with less than by playing it safe place ourselves in a position to see God move and to show up in ways that just blow us away where we can sit and say, only God, only God could have done this. Only God could have worked this out. Only God could have made this happen. Place yourself in a position for God to do something big. I have in my notes, or just something. Right? It doesn't necessarily have to be big. Just something. Place yourself in a position to see God just do something in your life. Number three, lastly, and I think this is big with Philip in this passage. Accept. Everybody say accept. Accept. Because we've got to realize it's already been offered. Okay? It's already been offered. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a member of His body of his church if, if, if this is the place you worship and you're a member of great but if not you're still a member of the body of christ right and if you're a member of the body of christ this has already been offered accept god's invitation to participate to participate in what his work his moving right the invitation is already there Right? And we see this in the story here with Jesus asking Philip, hey, where are we going to buy enough bread to feed these thousands of people that are out here? And Philip's like, I don't know. Right? Going back to the disciples, like, what, what are we going to do here? We've got to feed these people. And then Andrew's like, well, hey, hey there's a the little boy. He's got, he's got two fish. He's got five loaves of bread. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can do something with that. Right? But God is inviting us, God is inviting us to participate in His work. It's up to us to accept the invitation. It's up to us to embrace the opportunity to get involved in His work. It's up to us. It's up to us. And look, we can keep, listen, 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 listen. Hear my heart. Hear my heart. Hear my heart. God wants more for you. Wherever, you're, wherever you are in that, in your journey of following Him, He wants more for you. God wants more for me. God wants more for Pastor Rick. God wants more for Jim and Karen. God wants more for, for, for the Abrams family. God wants more for you. God wants more for each and every one of us. It's up to us to accept the invitation to participate in His work. He is enough. Philip could have sat there and looked back at Jesus and said, Jesus, <laughs> that just ain't going to work. I'm out. Right? I mean, I think about it, we've quoted it a few times. We've quoted this story a few times as we've talked about these seven signs over the last few weeks of Jesus, how these four guys carry their paralyzed friend on a mat to the house where Jesus was teaching. And the house was full. I can't tell you how many of us, how many, how many people that I thought would have climbed up on the roof and dug a hole have just looked at me and said, yet yeah, it's not your day. And they took me back home. Some of y'all know what I'm saying. Right? But yet, that's not what we see in Scripture. In the situation where these four had every reason, had every right. Hey, the room's full. We can't get you in. We're sorry. We'll try again. We'll see where Jesus, where His next show is in the next town or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll get you to that one. We'll get there early. We'll, we'll, no, what'd they do? They climbed on top of the roof. They dug a hole and they lowered their friend through the roof right in front of Jesus. Don't let your circumstance dictate how big your Jesus is. Accept His invitation to move and to participate in His work. Oh, man. Worship team is going to come. And we're going to sing a song. It's called Greater You, Lord.
As I was sitting, I texted Bree because she picks her songs uh, the other day as I was putting the message together. I said, what song are we ending with? And she said, Greater You, Lord. I said, that's perfect. That's perfect. And and I think she thought I was being sarcastic because she texted back and said, yeah, question mark. I was like, yes, the perfect closing song for Sunday's message. Here's why. The bridge of this song might be the chorus. I can't remember. But there's a line in this song that says, it's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise. What a perfect picture that Jesus is enough for us. It's His breath in our lungs. Each one of us here today, we're breathing. And that breath is given to us by God the Father so that we can participate in His work and do and fulfill His mission here on earth. And so we ought to pour out our praise, not because everything looks good down here, not because everything looks good around us, not because the bank account's enough, not because our marriage is perfect, not because our kids are angels, but because Jesus is enough. And His breath is in our lungs. And so we can praise Him for who He is. Right? I mean, I'm praising God today because I thought we were having conversations on Wednesday. It was supposed to pour down rain today. And we were thinking this is going to be the first Sunday where we're going to have to cancel church and just live stream it. And as much as I might have enjoyed not having to get all, you know, smelling good because all you guys are here. I was like, no, man, I want to have church. And so we just started praying. God, move the rain. Guess what? We live in Maine. And so God moved the weather. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Right? He's enough. And it's His breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Stop focusing on the situations around you and the circumstances around you and saying and limiting the size of your Jesus. Instead, tell the circumstances and the situations around you how big your Jesus is. And how He's enough. And how He's enough. Let's pray. Listen, I, I, I just want to do something. This is not a salvation invitation. But with every eye bowed, every eye closed, I, I, I just wonder... And this season, as we've, as we've sung, Lord, I need you, as we've sung, that He's enough, and we've read in this passage that He's more than enough, and that He can turn our circumstances and what seems bleak and impossible into a miracle. I just wonder today, if you're sitting here and you just need to say, I need more Jesus. Or if you're sitting here today and you just need to make the proclamation that, you know what? Over my circumstances, over my job, over this, over that, Jesus, you are enough. And so if you're, if you're sitting here today before I pray and you would say, man, Pastor, I just need to remember that Jesus is enough tomorrow when this happens. I just need to remember that Jesus is enough when I go home today. I just need to remember I need more Jesus. If that's you as I pray, I just, I just want to invite you to stand. Anybody at all. You just say, man, today, today I, just need, I just need more Jesus in my life. I just need Him to come and move. I just need Him to come in this situation. Anybody at all that you would just sit and say, I just need to stand up. I need to declare that Jesus, you are enough because my focus has been off. My focus has been shifted. I've been frustrated about things that I should have never been frustrated about. I've been aggravated about things I should have never been aggravated about. I just need Jesus to come. I just need more Jesus. Anybody at all, just stand, stay standing. Just stand, stay standing. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Anybody at all, anybody at all, I just need more Jesus. Anybody at all? Anybody else? God, I pray. And, and God, I think most of all this morning, I'm thankful 
It's such a familiar story, but yet it's so truth-filled that you are enough and that you're a God that wants to work and do miracles in our lives. And God, I, I guess for me in my heart, and maybe some other people here, God, I, I want to pray just against apathy that you're not involved in the supernatural anymore. But God, I want to claim that you want to do miracles. God, you want to work miracles in our life. You want to work financial miracles. You want to work people miracles. That, that, that person that we think is just so far away from you, God, you want to draw them to yourself. You want to draw them to yourself and you want to work a miracle in their life. And I pray it would happen for our sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters, our cousins, our friends, our family members, our co-workers that just aren't walking with you, but we're so burdened for them. God, I just pray that you tear down walls and that you would work a miracle and that we would be able to see your glory this side of heaven and watch them worship you and turn from the lifestyle they're in right now. God, I pray that. I pray today that we would accept the invitation to do Your work. It's Your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. I pray that for every person standing here, God, that You would... God, maybe for some of us, this just came to me. God, maybe for some of us, You need to wipe our memory. You need to wipe out the bad experiences. You need to wipe out the scars and the wounds and cover them up with your grace, your forgiveness, your love, so that we can place that bitterness and that unforgiveness and those grudges aside for your purpose and for your glory. So God, whatever you need to do, I pray, as we stand, as we sit, God, that you are enough. For each of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.